0: So tonight we're going to be talking about how to be an emotionally healthy leader and all of the material from this is taken from the book of the same name by Peter Scazzaro and um, I would highly highly recommend this book and um, it's a brilliant story about his journey as a leader and his journey of how God led him and um, to be an emotionally healthy leader. It is challenging and um, but it's really beautiful and I would say it's an absolute essential and um, if you want to really master this So what is emotional health and how does it differ from mental health or physical health or spiritual health? Well, a good way to think about mental and emotional health is a bit like a tag team. So mental health refers to your ability to process information. Emotional health refers to your ability to express feelings which are based on the information that you have processed. So mental health is all around how you perceive the world So if you're anxious, you might find that the way you perceive the world um, is that it's more threatening than someone else might find. It's a bit more scary. There are more things to worry about. Or if you're struggling with depression, the way you might perceive the world, you might perceive people differently and their reaction or response to you differently to how you would otherwise. Emotional health is then about how you deal with that information. It's how you express your feelings that are related to the information that you've just processed. So it's when you find yourself feeling anxious about something, it's whether you go tell a friend, journal about it, pray about it perhaps, and really process that emotion compared to if you hold on to that emotion, don't express it, and then perhaps kind of see it coming out in different ways later on. So in his book, um, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, Pete Scazzaro defines an emotionally unhealthy leader as a leader who operates in a deficit, lacking both emotional maturity and a being with God, sufficient to sustain their doing for God. I'm going to repeat that because it's a bit wordy. So an emotionally unhealthy leader is a leader who operates in a deficit, lacking both emotional maturity and a being with God, sufficient to sustain their doing for God. So paired with this, Um, It's a lot around self-awareness. So being aware of how we come across to the people we lead. And that's not to say that we paint a shiny version of ourselves for others to see and pretend we're really great. But actually, it's about being aware of our impact. What impact are we having on the people around us? And how might we accidentally be communicating a whole range of different emotions that we might not mean to? And there are a few kind of signs we can look out for, perhaps not being able to name how we feel. So not being very in touch with our emotions. And for me, this is something that I struggle with sometimes. Um, We might feel frustrated and we think, oh, why am I feeling like this right now? But we can't actually kind of name that feeling really. We just kind of feel something and we're not quite sure why, and that can be really hard. It might be that we're really unaware of our weaknesses or our limits. Um, this might be something like not listening to our bodies enough so actually running on empty and finding that at the end of every week we're kind of lying in a slump on our bed just thinking oh my goodness I'm exhausted how on earth am I going to get up again and do next week so being aware of our physical bodies Uh, we might be unaware of how our past impacts our present so thinking about our family background our childhood all those things that have kind of built up and actually impact who we are today are we aware of how our past might impact our present and then finally and um, being aware of how others experience us leadership is all about people leadership is all about people and leading people so actually if we want to be good leaders we need to be good with people we need to know what it's like being on the other side of us so as leaders we want to be emotionally healthy for a couple of reasons The first reason is that if we're not emotionally healthy as leaders, we will hurt people. Emotional immaturity hurts people all the time. And most of us will probably have been hurt at some point by a leader because of that. It might have been that they weren't emotionally mature enough to deal with some sort of conflict. And actually, we found ourselves in a strange position where we don't know where we stand for someone and we felt really hurt. It might be that they've not dealt with their own baggage in a a different area actually we might be aware where maybe we've done that to people as well. We want to be emotionally healthy as leaders because as leaders we're called to be examples. We're called to be examples to others and so actually we want to show people what it looks like to be an emotionally healthy leader. We want to be able to lead them on this journey and so we need to go on it ourselves. And then finally Jesus was emotionally healthy. Jesus was always in perfect union with his father. He knew his father's will. He was always in tune with what he was saying. Jesus expressed his emotions. He knew how he felt. He rested and he knew his limits. And we'll see how these play into being an emotionally leader, an emotionally healthy leader a bit later on. But um, there's a really helpful model called the iceberg model, which I'm going to try and draw. But I have to warn you, my drawing skills are not fantastic. So you'll just have to maybe slightly use your imagination as well. But if you imagine an iceberg, and when I think of an iceberg, obviously, all I think of is the Titanic. Um, But here we go. This is my iceberg. And what we see at the top, this is what people experience. So this might be your physical health, your mental health. This is kind of how you're feeling on a day to day basis. This is what we're aware of, the stuff of life we're aware of. The part underneath, the part that's much bigger and much more dangerous, that is our emotional health that's the stuff we're not aware of the stuff that's actually impacting what's going on on the surface but that we might not be able to see we might not be quite in touch with that and these might be motivations we haven't really processed fully there might be our fears again our family backgrounds, how that shapes us it might even be just our pace of life or stresses that we're undergoing that we haven't really processed And the underneath impacts the top. We might find we're experiencing feeling anxious or nervous or resentful or angry. And actually the reasons are hidden down below. The reasons why we're feeling like that are a bit further down. And we kind of have to dig those up to work out what's going on. And so we're going to look at four kind of tools tonight um, to work out how do we deal with that stuff? How do we become emotionally healthy? What do we need to invest in? Um, to make sure that our leadership is emotionally healthy and so we're going to um, look at this picture again I'm going to try and draw something I'm going to draw a picture of a tent in case you can't work out what it is by the time I've drawn it okay I'm actually quite proud of this one so here's my tent and we can think of this as our leadership and if you know anything about tents and camping which you probably do because as Christians we seem to just love going camping which I can't quite understand and um, but you'll know that if you want your tent to stand up in the wind and the rain when of course it happens and you thought it was going to be sunny all week and you only brought your flip-flops and you thought i won't need my wellies i'll just leave them at home but suddenly the rain comes and you know that the only thing that's going to keep your tent in place are the guy ropes and the pegs and i want to think of these four tools we're going to look at today as these four pegs that are going to keep us rooted in life we need those in place, we need these things to be rooted, we need them to be firm. If we don't want our leadership to be blown about, And if you think of it like the tent is the structure of our leadership is maybe the organization we're in or the team we're running. Actually, we don't want that to be falling down on people. We don't want um, because we're not plugged in properly, because we're not properly grounded or rooted in Jesus. We don't want that to mean that actually part of it's falling in on someone and damaging someone else. Actually, we want to be really secure and firm. And the key to that is in the stuff that you can't see. It's in those pegs being deep in the ground. The first peg we're going to look at is called Facing Your Shadow. This is when you really realize how much we love flip charts at One Life and um, that we just can't resist a little journey. This first peg is Facing Your Shadow. And when we talk about your shadow, um, it sounds kind of very grand, but it's basically the part of your personality or the part of your character um, that's not been healed properly, that maybe feels slightly um, broken, or the part that has kind of taken on negative traits. There's a quote that we often use that says, I'm a part of all that I have met. And this part of our character um, or our emotions might have been impacted all the way through our lives. Actually, as we go through life, we kind of, we go through bumps and we go through hard patches. And actually we can pick up stuff that might not be that helpful. We might have had words spoken to us that might have changed um, how we view ourselves or how we view the world. And as Christians, we have this real sense Um, of both the old and new. We have this sense that actually um, we're we're good, we're a new creation in Christ, but actually we've still got this sense that and we're held back slightly. So we see in Romans 7 and verse 18, which says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And in that chapter, he kind of goes on, he says, You know, I want to do these good things, but I just can't quite do it. And I just feel this tension. But then we look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, and it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And probably like me, you find yourself kind of sitting in this juxtaposition of old and new, and you feel that, you know, we're new in Christ. The old has gone, the new is here, but we're still painfully aware of our humanity, of our mistakes, our pride, the habits we might struggle to break. And we are all united in this struggle. And actually, it's a good thing because it reminds us of why we need Jesus, of why we can't just say, Do you know what, actually, I'm doing pretty well. Actually, we need him because we aren't sinless, because we do have this struggle. And this shadow is that old part. And the more we reflect on that, the more we think about it and work through it, actually, the more whole we become, the more like Jesus we become. And why is this important in leadership? Well, as we said before, leadership is about people. We want to be able to honor people and deal with people well in a godly way and not actually be controlled by the shadow part of us. And I'm gonna just read out um, a few questions from the book. And I wonder, you might wanna um, shut your eyes just for a second and just reflect on these questions. And these are basically made to give us a little bit um, of a marker of maybe where we're at with our own emotional health, where we're at with our own shadow and how much we've really dealt with it. So I'm just going to read these out, maybe shut your eyes. I'll read them out slowly. So just think, how true are these of you? I take time regularly to experience and process my anger, fear and sadness with God and others. Just think, how true is that of me? Here's the second one. When I'm triggered or have an overreaction, rather than blaming, blaming others, I settle myself down and ask what from my past might be causing me to react so strongly to this situation or person. And then finally, I quickly reach out for help when I'm overly stressed or engaging in unhealthy or self-destructive behaviours. And then if you want to open your eyes again, um, And probably some of us are thinking, oh, oh dear. and maybe not quite using the word dear. Um, (laughs) thinking, oh no, um, this isn't good. Because actually, those questions are really revealing. You think, oh, does, does that have to do with my faith? Does that have to do with my relationship with Jesus? Does that have to do with my leadership? But actually, I think the answer is yes. Jesus wants the whole of us to be redeemed by him. He wants the whole of us to be part of him and to be in union with him. So actually we need to be working this stuff out. And it's okay if we're not there. It's okay if you've just thought, actually, do you know what? I don't do any of these things at all because we're all on a journey with this. And the thing that matters is that we're on that journey that we've started. So here are just a few steps we can take to face our shadow. The first one is name and tame your feelings. So name and tame your feelings. And for me, this is so helpful. It's a really simple thing to do, but it's literally just taking a breath when we're starting to get angry or frustrated or upset in a meeting or conversation and just reflecting on why we're feeling like that, just to help us to unpick that shadow. And it helps us take responsibility for how we then go on to respond in that situation. So, for example, for myself, um, I'm aware that I can be a bit of a perfectionist. So I want to do things well and I'm hard on myself um, when I haven't done things well or I feel like I've let myself down. Um, But that means that sometimes, actually, if we're in meetings um, and we're discussing a project or something that I've been working on, I can sometimes feel the defensiveness start to rise, um, whereas we start to, you know, look at things that could have gone better you know you're doing a SWOT analysis and you know we want to do strengths maybe opportunities but weaknesses I'm not sure I want to go there and but actually we have to do and I just take a little breath and recognize okay I feel agitated because if I'm honest, I wish there was no weaknesses. I wish actually there was no constructive criticism because I wish I'd done it perfectly. But actually, do you know what? That's okay because we're never gonna get there and it's good to improve things. So I'm gonna name that feeling, I'm gonna name that frustration in myself, in my shadow, and instead of getting defensive or snappy, I'm gonna tame it and instead sit in that place of growth because that is healthy to sit there and growth is good. And for all of us, it will be different. It might be getting frustrated at something when the house is messy and you're suddenly like, why am I getting frustrated with this? Or it might be that your housemate has suddenly really started to annoy you and you just can't work out why you're just being snappy with them again and again. It's the self-awareness to know how you're feeling in the moment before you react. And it's a process and it will likely take a lifetime um, to properly work that out. But the sooner we can start naming our feelings, the easier it is to then deal with them. So that's the first thing to tame our shadow, to name and tame our feelings. The second thing is family focus. So family focus. So your family has a huge impact on your character. Like we said, I'm a part of all that I've met and our family, our home has a huge impact on us. Whether it's that you're really similar to your parents or siblings, or whether it's actually that you've rebelled and you've kind of become the opposite to them because you didn't want to be anything like them, they have had an impact on you. And something that um, Pete Scazzaro recommends to do um, in his book is map out, do a family tree, or he calls a genogram, which is a very fancy word, but basically a family tree, of your family, and just making notes um, of family dynamics. What were those people like? You know what was their temperament what was their character what actually were their struggles what was their shadow like what were the different relationships like between generations and actually as we do this we can start to see kind of points um, of similarity maybe it's actually that there are quite a lot of fiery passionate people that actually get themselves into a bit of trouble in your family maybe it's there and um, there's a real pattern of placeness and love between siblings Maybe it's that actually there's a lot of family feuds and a lot of people in the family aren't, don't speak to each other anymore, but you've never realised because you've never drawn it out like that. But it's something I would recommend, just having a little draw out of your family tree and just seeing what other patterns you might notice and what actually might be true in your life as well. What might you have taken up as part of your shadow? So that's the second thing, family focus. The third thing we can do to face our shadow is identify scripts. And this is um, kind of similar to um, mapping out your family, but it's all about identifying those specific scripts or narratives that might have been handed down to you through your formative years. And scripts are repeated patterns um, of thought that impact the way we view the world or the way we interact with everyday life. It might be that as a child, your trust was broken by a parent. And so actually your script for day-to-day life is don't trust anyone. It might be that you were unfairly blamed as a child for things that were beyond your control. And your script is that actually you make bad things happen. So you need to try extra hard to be good to stop that happening. It might be that we felt conditional love from a parent based on how well we did on tests. And so actually the narrative is that I have to do really well. I have to do well so that I can earn love. We all have different narratives and scripts that change the way we behave and the way we interact with others. And the aim is to recognize these so that actually we can bring those in line with what the Bible would say, with what God would say about us. Here's something to say about those scripts. Here's something to say about how worthy of love you are. Here's something to say um, about who you should trust. And it's bringing those things in line with his word so actually we can stand in line with him and receive what he has for us. That's the third thing and finally the fourth thing is seek feedback. We will always have blind spots and the easiest way to find them out is to pay attention and to ask others. Simply asking what is it like to be on the other side of me? That might be asking uh, your friend or housemate, your boss or co-worker, your employee. Um, If you can, maybe even organise for a whole load of different people to give you feedback. Even send them a form or ask someone to do that for you and then they can do it anonymously and give it back to you. Find a way um, to get feedback from people. Find a way to get them to give it to you honestly and receive it and ask them. Find out what it is like to be on the other side of you. In our team, um, we do something. We haven't done it during lockdown over Zoom because it's just too much. But when we're in the office together, we do something called challenge and celebrate. Where we actually just sit together. For a lot of people, this sounds like the worst nightmare, but we sit together and we celebrate each other. We just um, all throw in things that actually we've seen someone else do really well that week or that we've been impacted positively by. And we challenge each other. Uh, we say things that actually, do you know what? That could have um, been better. You could have you could have done something differently and that would have been better for the team. Or actually, do you know what? When this happened last week, that really impacted me negatively and I felt a bit hurt. We do that as a team and um, sometimes it is awkward and hard, but it's good. And actually, um, Ash Porter, um, who's on this call, worked with us online for a while. And I remember clearly um, Ash challenging me um, for being late to come and pick him and stuff up to go to you. I was running late and if you know me I'm not great with timings I'm still not fantastic with timings but I do try Um, But actually I remember because for me I'm like oh being late is fine but actually for Ash that's a really big thing that actually he sees that as something um, that honours people or doesn't honour people and so for me that was really helpful because I need to know as a leader that people find it really dishonouring if I'm late to meetings or if I'm late to pick someone up or to get somewhere that I've said I would be that's not okay Actually, I need to hear that feedback. So if you're a leader in any sort of team or any sort of space where you can set that, set it so that feedback is a helpful thing. that It's a positive thing that you want people to bring to the team. And if you want um, feedback to be valued and set, then as a leader, you have to accept it the hardest thing but the thing I love about um, us doing it in our team is that actually we can all challenge each other it doesn't matter and um, if you're Liz and you're the director it doesn't matter if you're Becky and you're the intern actually all of us do it together there is no actually Liz is allowed to challenge all of us and we can only challenge people who are below us so actually we all just challenge Becky that doesn't happen actually we do it all together Becky never needs challenging because we love her. Um, but actually we do it all together and we encourage each other and challenge each other and it means there's a sense of trust in our team as well but we need to seek feedback and um, before we move on to our second peg i just want to give you 30 seconds just to maybe highlight one of those things and say do you know what i'm going to make a choice to do that okay so moving on to our second tent peg we've got leading from relationship so leading from relationship and you might be thinking this sounds completely off topic how do our relationships have any impact on our leadership and what are you talking about um and i understand um why you're asking that question and me and becky asked that question when we read this as well um but actually after (laughs) reading this chapter it's important to know that jesus cares And our singleness, how we deal with our singleness or our marriage as a leader in any sphere could be the making or breaking of us, of our leadership. How we deal with our marriage or singleness is so important to Jesus. And actually, you'll notice that I'm just saying um, married or single. Um, I'm not using all the in between terms of in a relationship or it's complicated that no one ever used. I don't know why that was relationship status. Um, but actually, I think it's helpful to think of it like that. And I think actually, even if you're in a relationship and not married, the stuff for this singleness I'm going to talk about, I think that will be helpful. And I think it's good to be thinking like that. So um, I'm going to speak a lot more about singleness, the marriage, because I've realized that most of us here are single rather than married. Um, but just to go in on marriage quickly, I just want to tell a story um, from this book, just in this view of how we do ministry um, and how we do marriage and our view on that. And he tells this story um, of this guy and he was the leader in a church in China um, and he worked really hard um, because there was so much God wants to do. But the church that he worked for, the place he was in ministry, was actually a 24-hour train journey, which just makes you realise how big China is. A 24-hour train journey from where his wife and his son lived, from their home. And he would only come back once a year for 24 hours. He would come back at Chinese New Year and spend it with his family. And then he would go back on the train and go back to his ministry. And the story goes that he had come back for Chinese New Year, He'd been there for 24 hours and had this time with his wife and his child, and he went to get back on the train, and his young son ran after him saying, Daddy, Daddy, and wanting him to stay. And this pastor pushed his son away and said, get behind me, Satan, because he wanted him to stay rather than go and do his ministry. And that is pretty extreme, but I think it gives you a bit of an insight of how so often we view our doing for God compared to our relationships. And I think that happens when we get confused with our being with God and our doing for God. Our being with God, our knowing Jesus, and having our time with Him by ourselves, that is our first priority. Our relationship with Jesus is absolutely our first priority. And the decisions we make out of that are, of course, that is the most important thing. But I would going to say. But actually our ministry the things we do for God the activities we take up for him or the roles we do for him actually I think they come under either our marriage or our singleness whichever we are actually that is so important and actually he talks about in this book that that's an important gospel message that actually if we're married we're meant to be modeling Jesus and the church to people in the way that we love each other if we're single We're meant to be modeling that with our relationship with Jesus and actually the breadth of love that God has. It's an important message that we carry. But moving on um, to singleness, maybe you're single and you're happy being single and you want to be single forever. And if that's you, that is amazing. And um, Paul would say good on you, especially. Um, But actually, if you're thinking, you know what, I'm single and I hate being single and it's the worst thing ever, or you're just thinking, you know what, I'm single right now. Um, but I do hope to get married in the future um, that is fantastic both of those are great and actually it's a beautiful season to be in um, and I remember getting frustrated with married people who would talk about singleness all the time and be like well you're married so you don't know anything about singleness I've only been married for 11 months so I feel like we should be more worried when I still start talking about marriage um, But I was single for 25 years um, so I do hopefully still have some on that um, there are a couple of things that I think we should be investing in and actually that I wish I had invested in more um, as a single person and the first thing is investing in friendship and community and that is seriously investing in friendship and community and one of the stories um, in the book talks about um, this woman and she was on a team at a church um, serving people and she was the only single person on that team And she was really aware of that. And she was always asked um, to kind of clear up after because everyone else wanted to get home to their families. And she wrote to the person that was in charge of this team. And she said, you know, when you do that, it makes me feel devalued because actually you will go home to your families. But I want to go home to my friends because my relationships are just as important. And it is harder as a single person to invest in those relationships, those key relationships that I need and you're um, saying that actually your marriages are more important than that. How often do we do that? And actually, as a single person myself, I did that. I remember when I actually interned with One I, when I first started working, I was really happy and um, I was loving it. We used to go on all sorts of adventures all around the country um, and we'd go on weekends away. And I was away for so much of the year. But at the same time, I was wondering why it was so hard to get stuck into community. And why I wasn't feeling, you know, fully connected to people, why I felt lonely. I was wondering that. And reading this, well, I realized actually it wasn't my first priority. My first priority was ministry and any relationship could come after that. Actually, we have to take responsibility and say, you know what, I'm going to invest in relationships for the long haul. Just because I'm not married doesn't mean I can't have healthy, deep, vulnerable relationships we have to think, what are the boundaries I need to put in place in my job or in ministry and volunteering so that actually I can do that, so that I can maintain those relationships because they are needed. That's the first thing. The second thing um, is self-care. Um, and by that, I don't mean um, a bubble bath with a hot chocolate and kind of painting your nails, even though I would say that is a great way to spend an evening. But what I mean is, what can you do to bring you joy that's not something um, that we'd say is, uh, what can you do to really bring you joy that actually God might want to do with you? And actually, as a marriage, married person, um, me and Rich go and play tennis together. Um, it's very cool, um, which is something that brings us joy as a couple. It's something that um, we're not doing ministry together because that's often what we're doing. We serve together. We're not talking about work. It's just something different that we do together. Um, But I know that as a single person, that's even more important to have those things that we invest in just for ourselves, because actually God wants us to delight. Something I love um, about Becky, I love a lot of things about Becky, one thing I love about Becky is that um, when she's going next year, she's going to move. And she was talking about how she's going to go and join a hockey team, because actually she loves playing hockey um, and because she wants to go and do that. Because that's a great way to make friends and invest in friendship. There's just something a bit different. So what might that be for you what might it be that actually you could go and invest in what could you go and do and play with that actually you're making more friends and it's something that's bringing you joy and you're just investing in for yourself so that's the second thing that's leading from our relationships either from our marriage or from our singleness the third kind of peg we've got going on is slowing down to be with Jesus so slowing down to be with Jesus Matthew 7, um, from verses 21 to 23, says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It is possible to be a Christian leader without Jesus. It is possible to grow a large ministry, to see growth and signs and wonders without a personal, healthy relationship with Jesus. It is possible to lead people in worship without having had your own time with Jesus during the week. It's possible to explore the Bible and to teach others from it beautifully without actually applying it yourself. We can't judge our relationship with Jesus by our works. It's not a measure of that and we're making a mistake if we are. So if it's not doing things for Jesus, what does it mean to really slow down and be with Jesus and what difference does it make to our day? We can think oh it's a quiet time but what what does that mean? And so I'm going to run you th- through two scenarios of my day. What it looks like when I've slowed down to be with Jesus in one and what it looks like when I haven't in the other. So you can guess which is which. Day one, I wake up out of bed and I just start scrolling through Instagram. First thing I do, I finally drag myself out of bed and I make a coffee and I half listen to my Bible reading on the Bible app for the day while speed eating my breakfast and I get ready really quickly and I get out the door and I arrive at work a bit flustered but kind of ready to work hard and I worry at various points through the day you know about my uh, team's approval of me and I overthink our challenge and celebrate and worry about that at lunchtime I sit and I maybe watch Line of Duty on Netflix great show And I spend the afternoon problem solving and worrying if anyone's going to book on to any event that we're running and worrying that I'm not doing enough for God. And I end the day with a general sense of feeling a bit down about my job and feeling a bit anxious. So that's one day. Another day, another example. I wake up, I make my coffee, I grab my journal and my Bible and I sit with God. I journal about how I feel that day. I read my passage for the day and then spend some time waiting on him, asking him, what does he want me to do today? I get to work and I'm aware of what the spirit is doing within the team. I enjoy, challenge and celebrate. And at lunch, I go for a walk and take time to process with Jesus the challenges I've received. In the afternoon, I problem solve and I see that while we might need more bookings, I have peace because I know it's in God's hands and not mine. I finished the day feeling peaceful. Those two days, it's the same day, but it's approached differently. It's done differently. And I have to admit, far too often, I'm doing the first day rather than the second. I know myself, there is a huge difference between when I sit and I I start my day slowly with Jesus to when I don't. And I think the two key differences are making time to be present with God and then cultivating an awareness of God in each thing we take on. We want to be present with God, and then we want to cultivate an awareness of God in each thing we take on. And a really helpful tool um, for doing this that I would recommend is this thing called the prayer of examen. And Liz was talking about kind of these ancient practices, and this is another one of those, it's kind of a meditation. And it's some um, self-reflective questions to ask at the end of your day. I'm just going to read them out and um, you don't have to write them down if you don't want to you could google it if you just write down prayer exam but these are the steps you go through the first one is sitting actually let's just do it together now there we go that's a better idea so let's sit so the first thing we do is be grateful for God's blessing so what are you grateful for today maybe you want to write that down the second thing we do we review the day with openness and gratitude looking for where God has been present and times that we may have ignored him. So I'll just leave us a minute just to maybe write those things down. The third thing we do is pay attention to our emotions. So that might be that as you thought through the day there was something that stuck out to you and maybe you felt really joyful about it. Or maybe you felt kind of like not on your stomach and you felt a bit anxious. What were those things? The fourth step is to repent of any sin from your day. And ask for God's forgiving love to fill you again. And then the final thing we do is we pray for grace to be more available to the God who loves us. And that is just a really, really brief run through of that. But that's a really helpful thing to do, to just be paying attention and just to realign ourselves with God and his presence throughout the day. And um, I love as well that step three is paying attention to our emotions. It's just so relevant to us. And actually, um, Ignatius of Loyota, what name? name, um, says that God speaks to us through our consolations and desolations, which just mean the things that fill us with joy and the things that drain us. Actually, we need to not ignore how we feel about things. We want to be emotionally aware so that actually we can be aware. Where, where might be God be speaking to me about this? What has he put in me that I'm passionate about that kind of sparks that joy in me? And actually, why is it that I feel, you know, dread about something or I feel drained after I do something? What might he be saying to me about that? What might he want to do with that? the final peg in our tent for tonight is practicing Sabbath. The final thing is practicing Sabbath, our fourth peg, to hold our tent in place. And I'm not going to spend ages on Sabbath. If you want um, to find out more about Sabbath, I think we've already mentioned there are some brilliant um, podcasts. Um, by Bridgetown Church on Sabbath or there's a book called Garden City um, by John Mark Comer, which is phenomenal. Um, but I actually loved what Pete shared um, on Tuesday about it, about what someone said to him early on um, in, his, in his work in church and they said you can't forsake the ways of God to do the work of God. You can't forsake the ways of God to do the work of God. And I also love a um, John Mark quote and he talks about how, as a church leader, if he broke any of the other nine commandments, you know, if he um, was if he killed someone, if he was um, not loving God, if he was taking the Lord's name in vain, if he was stealing, all those kind of things, he'll be fired. But if he doesn't keep the Sabbath, if he works harder and harder and harder, actually, you'd probably get promoted. It's pretty challenging. And when we think for ourselves, even if, you know, we're serving on a team, if we're looking for other people to serve on teams, are we taking that into consideration? Actually, this is one of the Ten Commandments to take your Sabbath, to practice Sabbath, because God did. Sabbath is the way of God. And it's just taking one of the seven days we are given to stop working, to stop creating, to stop consuming and to rest and be, and to worship and delight. Did you know that um, Seventh-day Adventists, um, they have a much longer life expectancy, it's about 20 years longer than other people in the US, and they say that that is because they keep the Sabbath, that is like one of their main things, They're Seventh-day Adventists, they, they keep the Sabbath, they take the day off every week, they don't even kind of cook On the Sabbath, they take it that seriously, and actually, their life expectancy is 20 years longer. That is insane. So, if you want to live longer, if you want to enjoy a week, a day off every week, and you want to obey God, then taking the Sabbath is a pretty good option. Um, But a few tips on how do you take Sabbath? Because actually, it's a really big thing to do if that's not something you're used to, to actually take a full day off and not do any work and not create or do anything. How do we do that? Well, the first thing to do is decide decide to do it it's a discipline and it's hard and it needs scheduling in we actually write it on our calendar we've got a liverpool calendar up in my kitchen um because my husband is a liverpool sporter um, and on most saturdays it is written as sabbath and we've had some funny conversations with people who are maybe slightly concerned we've become Jewish. Um, but actually, like, why have you written Sabbath on your calendar? And we're saying, actually, do you know what? it's because we want to make sure that we're not planning anything else in for that day that isn't Sabbath-y. We don't want to um, go over that. I don't want to accidentally commit um, to do something else on that day. Because actually, we have set that day apart to be with God, to worship him and to rest with him. We think of Sabbath um, as a mini holiday. It's almost like, you know, how with Christmas you prepare for it and you get ready and you're not going to do any work on Christmas because it's Christmas and you wouldn't forget it. So why are we forgetting our Sabbath? So that's the first thing, decide to do it It's a discipline. The second thing is work out what works for you. So work out what works for you. My Sabbath looks different to Liz's Sabbath, which looks different to Becky's Sabbath and Chris's Sabbath and all of your Sabbaths. Actually, it depends on what stage of life you're in. If you're single, it might look like going and spending time with friends. Maybe it looks like going out for lunch or having brunch with your friends or going and playing football in the park. If you're married, maybe it looks like um, going to see um, one of your parents or time together. Maybe it looks like watching a really great film that you love or cooking up a storm, if that's what you love doing. Maybe you hate cooking and actually for you, Sabbath looks like getting a takeaway. So actually you get a day off from something that you really don't enjoy. Whatever that is for you, work it out, have a go, try. And I have to say it shifts with different seasons. So actually in lockdown, Sabbath looks completely different to how it looked before lockdown. And I think probably after lockdown, it'll look different again. So work out what it looks like for you. And the third thing is work out what brings you life. Being aware, like we said, being aware of our emotions, What is it throughout your day that brings you joy? Is it, you know what, I just loved it when I took a walk in the park. That was the highlight of my day. Great. On your Sabbath, go for a long walk. Enjoy that. Enjoy God's creation. Maybe it was, you know what, when I just sat around with friends at the dinner table, that was the highlight of my day and I just loved that. Great. Have friends around. Spend time together. Enjoy each other. It's about doing something different so that we can enjoy God and his good gift. And so those are our four kind of pegs in the ground if we want to pursue emotional health, that actually we can lead with longevity so that we can lead and we don't get um, burnout so that we lead and we're not hurting people along the way. And like we said, all of this is a journey. It's a journey and we're doing it together.